Six o'clock straight up. This is the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday evening. Forgive us for not having a live show last week. There was a bit of an emergency problem in the studio. But we're here, and we're live, and we're glad. Lots of things to discuss. Lots and lots of things to discuss. Let's start out in Texas. Let's start out talking about a woman by the name of Sandra Brand. Uh, Some of you uh, may have heard of her. I'm sorry, Sandra Bland. Um, Many of you may have heard about her. Uh, She was stopped by a police officer, and uh, apparently, uh, according to the Texas Director of uh, Public Safety, the stop was a violation of department arrest procedures. Now, Sandra Bland apparently pulled over to the side of the road or pulled out of the lane that she was in because she was making room for that same police car, the police car that eventually stopped her. And it appears as though the officer decided to arrest her or at least detain her for failure to signal when she changed lanes. Uh, seemingly a trivial offense, if an offense at all. And according to the powers that be in Texas, she never should have been arrested. Never should have been arrested. She was in in jail for three days, and at a point, she was found hanging in her cell. She was an African-American from Chicago. She had come to Texas for a job at Prairie View A&M University, which was her alma mater. Now, uh, apparently, this officer was either so full of himself or so crazed or so insane. Uh, And the dashboard camera uh, that was in the police car uh, chronicled a good bit of this. Not all of it, but a good bit. Uh, The officer, uh, whose name is Encinia, Brian T. Encinia, Uh, The confrontation reportedly escalated after Sandra Bland refused uh, Encenia's order to put out a cigarette. Now, ironically enough, uh, he also threatened to, quote, light her up with a stun gun. And elected officials in Texas are saying this woman should never have been taken into custody and she should be alive today. The officer pointed the stun gun at her and said, I will light you up. Now, neither the stun gun nor the confrontation over the cigarette was mentioned in Trooper Encinia's incident report, which was made public yesterday, according to the New York Times. The video also confirmed an account, according to the Times, from the family's lawyer, as the confrontation escalated after that cigarette situation. Uh... The officer said, the trooper, I guess, and senior said, you seem very irritated. Sandra Bland responded, I am. I really am. 
She said she had pulled over to get out of his way and now was getting stopped and written up because of it. And three days later, she was found hanging in her cell. Uh, the powers that be are leaning toward trying to call it suicide. Sandra Bland supporters are saying, not so fast. They're demanding a Justice Department investigation, and well, they should. This is yet another incident of certainly police overreaching, overstepping their bounds. How in the deuce do you arrest somebody and that person end up dead over a lane change violation? There's no report here that says that Sandra Bland was armed. She might have gotten into a verbal confrontation with the cop. And apparently he seemed to have become incensed when she wouldn't get out of the car. And uh, she did use a few expletives and said that she had epilepsy. And uh, the trooper responded, good. Now, in an affidavit, Trooper Encina said that Sandra Bland was combative and uncooperative and that she began swinging at him with her elbows. And uh, at which point, according to the report, according to the affidavit, she was handcuffed and forcibly subdued. Encina said, quote, Bland was placed in handcuffs for officer safety. Now, the death has been ruled a suicide, but according to the Waller County Sheriff's Office, she appeared in good health when she was booked and placed in a housing area for women in the jail in Waller County. A jailer making rounds found her hanging in her cell shortly after 9 a.m. on July 13th. The incident began on July 10th. Um, Her family and her friends are saying there's no way she would have uh, committed suicide. She was found in a, quote, semi-standing position, hanged with a plastic trash can liner affixed to a U-shaped metal hook. Now, the Harris County Medical Examiner, who officials said had conducted the postmortem because of inadequate medical facilities in uh, Waller County, which is apparently a rural county, ruled the death was a suicide resulting from self-inflicted asphyxiation. However, the Waller County District Attorney said he was pursuing the case, quote, like a murder investigation, unquote. There are too many questions that need to be resolved. Investigations are also underway by the FBI, the Texas Rangers, which is an investigative unit in the Department of Public Safety. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas and others have called on Attorney General Loretta Lynch, more on her later, to order a Justice Department inquiry. Now, it would appear as though, even if this woman had some kind of problem, and they say that she may have been suffering from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, her family members said they had no reason to believe that she was seriously troubled. However, The bottom line is this. It's another black life lost needlessly. Absolutely needlessly. There is no reason nor any excuse for putting somebody in handcuffs, threatening them with a stun gun, 
over a lane change violation. That's the kind of thing if he had decided to do it, and that's questionable since she said she was pulling over to let him pass. There's no reason on God's green earth that she should have gotten more than a citation. And that she could have fought in court, and she probably would have won. So this case is ongoing. It's one of literally dozens of cases of late where unarmed black people have ended up dead or seriously hurt. And questions about police conduct are being raised. It's not just here in New York City. It's happening all over the country. And there are questions about law enforcement all over the country that demand answers. It appears as though some people in law enforcement, not all, don't get me wrong, not all at all, but some in law enforcement seem to think a badge or a shield or a gun or a taser or a stun gun or whatever gives them license to trample on the rights of ordinary citizens. And from appearances, no matter what happened, and I'm, I'm personally quite suspicious of the notion that this woman took her own life, uh, you would think that there would be outrage across the country. And I think there is, actually, because this is taken off on social media. God help me, I'm using that term, social media. But it is. And it demands answers. And Attorney General Loretta Lynch, I think, would do well to look into this and look into it deeply with an eye toward precisely what happened. And if criminal charges are to be brought, they need to be brought against that trooper and against the chain of events that led to this woman's death. Moving on. The de Blasio administration, some of you may know that until earlier this afternoon, apparently, the de Blasio administration had been at war with Uber, the tech app car service. And long story short, the city council here in New York was due to vote tomorrow on the imposition of a cap on new livery service cars. It would have affected Uber directly, but apparently they have reached some sort of agreement. The New York Times is saying that the de Blasio administration has backed away from its fight with Uber, agreeing to drop for now its plan to place a cap on the number of vehicles operated by Uber in New York City. This was a fight that Bill de Blasio probably wasn't going to win anyway earlier this afternoon, apparently, even Governor Cuomo. And it's funny because I was on a a radio program last night, and I was talking with Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, and we were talking about what would happen if and when Governor Cuomo chose to weigh in. Of course, the relations between Governor Cuomo and uh, Mayor de Blasio have not been, how best to put this, the warmest of late. And uh, the governor apparently was on a radio program earlier today and said that he had a problem with this whole cap thing. 
this cap legislation. And of course, the city being more or less bound to the state in terms of trying to get certain things done legislatively might well have had a problem. And there was a rumor in the New York Post that the governor was going to bypass the mayor and negotiate directly with city council speaker Melissa Mark Riverito over the cap thing. But now it appears to be moved. Apparently, uh, the agreement, according to the Times, calls for Uber to release some of the data that the city had been seeking. The city is going to conduct a four-month study of the effect of Uber and other for-hire vehicle operators on the city's traffic and environment. Listen, anybody that lives in New York, anybody that walks the street, you can walk out of an office building, and if you want to know what the deal is with traffic, just step outside. It's congested, extremely congested. I am amazed sometimes at the number of gas spewing. Most of them are gas. Some of them are hybrids, but most of them are gas. The SUVs that roam this city. I don't see anybody putting a cap on SUVs or the ability of whoever wants to ride in one or drive one to do so. And many of the SUVs that are on the streets are also, by the way, not Uber vehicles, although some are, but they're also black cars and others. And this was a fight that I don't think Bill de Blasio could have won. Now, Karen Hinton, his chief spokeswoman, said that Uber must adhere to this agreement, which essentially calls for the release of data on the part of the service. I guess it's a service. Uber has and, and has uh, moved not just across the country, but across the world to mixed reviews at best. Existing taxicab industries, again, across the country, but especially here in New York, where we have a huge number of medallion licensed yellow cabs, they're furious about Uber. One guy apparently declared bankruptcy on one large taxi operator, declared bankruptcy. But he'll, he'll continue to operate. Don't, uh, don't get that part of it twisted. He's going to continue to do what he's been doing. But he's saying that the number of Uber drivers on the street has impacted his business. And then, of course, Uber, who, by the way, uh, you know, I go on a, a pretty fair number of websites, newspaper websites, etc., to prepare for this show and others that I do. And this morning, every single website I went to had a banner ad from Uber. So they were going forward full force against the mayor, who they call a captive of the taxi industry. I believe he got something like $350,000. There's also the question of whether or not some of the mayor's staff, when he was running for mayor, used Uber themselves, although the mayor himself says he doesn't and didn't back in 2013. This is, to me, a matter of regulation, simply not being able to keep up properly with technology, because Uber is a child of technology. It allows people to access a car, and believe me, uh, part of the reason why I think some elected officials were peeling away from the mayor's position 
people like Annabelle Palmo, the councilwoman from the Bronx, Controller Scott Stringer, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, Governor Cuomo, and others. Part of the reason why they were peeling off of the mayor's position is that the yellow cab industry is not uh, engaging in this fight with totally clean hands themselves. There was a time that New York City cab drivers had it very differently than they do now. They are considered contractors, and that was something that was done almost unilaterally by the industry. Now, say what you will about Uber, and I don't know, you know, you see the ads with the drivers saying that, you know, life is is not bad for them. They also emphasize the fact that they are available to people in the so-called outer boroughs, places like Coney Island or Astoria or Harlem or other parts of the city, where medallion cabs traditionally have not gone. And they say, I saw a study that said 90% of yellow cab pickups occur in Manhattan below 59th Street. Uber's percentage is much lower than that, about 60-some-odd percent. But the question of whether or not Uber is going to continue to operate and be allowed to continue to operate really is going to depend on the mayor's staff, the TLC, and others being able to draft regulations that make sense for Uber to operate. When regulators play catch-up to technology, the regulators usually lose. And Uber knows this, whether it's in New York or San Francisco or Portland or London or wherever. Uber knows they've got the technological edge. And for them, it's like, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to do this, and it's not something that they're going to be able to regulate right away, and we will establish ourselves and then we'll talk regulation later. That's how. That's their approach. That's been their approach. It may not be a great approach, but that's what they're doing. And it appears to me as though, at least in this fight, they won. I think they may have won at least in part because the mayor was counting on a coalition of different progressive forces to line up against Uber. And those forces did not materialize to the extent that he could continue the fight. He never did want to make it. And this was something Ben Smith pointed out in a very interesting article he did for, for BuzzFeed. The mayor didn't want to fight this in the context of cabs. He called Uber uh, a corporate behemoth. Well, maybe they are. But New York City is the headquarters for so many corporate behemoths that calling a, a, a car service a corporate behemoth becomes almost laughable. The medallion cab industry could be called a corporate behemoth, too. Their medallions, you total up the number, and it's a billion-dollar industry, multi-billion-dollar industry. So that one really didn't hold out. Uh it's interesting that, that, you know, Uber pulled in celebrities. They pulled in Ashton Kutcher, Kate Upton, Neil Patrick Harris, and other people that I don't think normally catch cabs, but they got in the middle of this. And the governor, as he did in the charter fight, cracked the mayor's legs again. I don't know how they're going to be able to work uh, together. 
because what Bill de Blasio called the corporate behemoth, Andrew Cuomo called one of the great inventions of this new economy. Now, when it comes to the new economy, and that's another discussion for another day, but questions about the new economy abound, and they're legitimate questions about whether or not, for example, Uber drivers have health care. Will they be allowed to unionize? Even though cab drivers and medallion cab drivers are technically not unionized, there are all kinds of questions about the new economy. Because the new economy implies a situation where people are self-employed. You know, they call them driver partners. We'll see how long Uber is able to maintain whatever goodwill they have. The number of four hire vehicles in New York has grown by more than 60% since 2011, which is when Uber first started. I didn't realize they had started that far back. 20,000 of those uh, 60% of the 60% growth are apparently Uber's growth. And, you know, the ads that they've been running, which you could not escape if you watch any television on any channel during the daytime. I mean, they were on cable, they were on, you know, shows like The View, Dr. Phil, and all of All of them. A very, very aggressive television campaign. I'd be interested to see exactly how much money Uber ended up spending on those ads and on other lobbying that apparently produced at least a temporary agreement. I'm not sure that... Uh, people in the city council if they had the numbers to actually pass a cap. Udonis Rodriguez, good guy, by the way, chair of the Transportation Committee of the council, said that supporters of that bill had the necessary votes. But there were people peeling off like a banana over the last 48 hours. Maybe not people on the council per se, although I think Dan Garodnik decided that he wasn't going to support the bill. But it looks as though the mayor's house of cards has collapsed and that he overestimated the city's hand in dealing with Uber. We shall see. Let's go next to the strange case of Ashley Madison, which the New York Times laughably described as a dating site. It's a dating site for cheaters, is what Ashley Madison is. And some of you may know by now that hackers gathered the information on 37 million Ashley Madison members. 37 million people who were down for a discreet affair, which is how they describe it. Which means that somebody, the guy who founded Ashley Madison, I think it's called Abit Entertainment, uh, he made out like a bandit. Like a bandit. But they have apparently, the hackers, decided, they, you know, their initial demand was that Ashley Madison take down the website. Uh, Ashley Madison wasn't doing that. They, in, a, in an extraordinary extraordinary bit of hyperbole called the hack terrorism. Terrorism against cheaters. I don't know how much sympathy these folks would get, but they've outed 
the first person that's on the website. A guy apparently from Brockton, Massachusetts. And uh, Ashley Madison, of course, makes its money largely because it's secret. People don't aren't theoretically supposed to be able to access information. Although apparently, hack or no hack, if you knew what you were doing, if you were suspecting your spouse or significant other or whatever of cheating or thinking about cheating, there were ways that you might have been able to find out whether that person had signed up for Ashley Madison. But be that as it may, it appears as though divorce lawyers across the country will be licking their chops if they actually go forward and continue to drop more names. I don't know who this poor schlub is in Brockton, Massachusetts, but uh, as a matter of fact, Two subscribers' names or details were leaked. One is from Canada, the other from Brockton. According to the uh, New York Times, among the data released about the Brockton client, his user ID was heavy 73. He listed himself as married attached. He joined the site after Valentine's Day 2014. Maybe he didn't like the candy he got. He likes cuddling and hugging and is into discretion and secrecy. Well, so much for that. The only thing that people in the cyber expert business can say is change your password often. It just goes to show, and I've said this many times before on this program and others, that there's really no such thing as privacy anymore. There's no such thing as secrecy anymore. You know, you want to, you want to do privacy and secrecy, stay the hell off the Internet. It's as simple as that. Don't go on Facebook, don't go on Reddit, don't go, don't go on any of this stuff. And then maybe, maybe you might, assuming the government hasn't mined your data anyway, you might have the possibility of privacy. But I wonder, are, are people sympathetic to the folks that joined Ashley Madison? You feel sorry for the people that are now about to get exposed? Because trust me, they're not just going to drop two. They may not drop 37 million, but they're going to drop a lot more than two. And if they keep dropping them, Ashley Madison may find it's got 37 members and not 37 million because people will desert them like rats deserting a sinking ship. What do you think about all this? It's 27 minutes past the hour. We've got our phones up. The number is 888-874-4888-888-874-4888. You can call. You can talk about Ashley Madison. You can talk about Sandra Bland. You can talk about Uber and Cuomo and de Blasio et al. We've got a bunch of other stories to discuss. So give me a call if you are so inclined. 888-874-4888. You know, I'm, I'm wondering how judgmental people are about this Ashley Madison thing. Because, you know, when it first came out, there were people who were incensed, outraged. They took umbrage at the notion that a website could be created for people that wanted to have affairs. 
didn't stop people, obviously, from joining. 37 million people is a lot of people. That's almost as many people as live in the state of California, more people than live in the state of New York. It's a lot. I don't know how many of them were serious. I don't know how many of them hooked up. You never know. But we do know now that Ashley Madison is, I think, going to end up being toast. I really do. I don't know whether law enforcement will catch up to whoever did the hack. As hacks go, I wouldn't think it'd be a huge priority for law enforcement. It's like, well, okay, so they hacked it. You know, you hack other kinds of sites. You know, you want to hack the Defense Department and stuff like that. That's important to the government. Ashley Madison? Eh, maybe not so much. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to talk about Donald Trump, much as I hate to, because I have a different sort of take on Donald Trump. We're going to talk about Dylan Roof, who is now charged with a federal hate crime in addition to the murders of nine people in Charleston, South Carolina. They haven't said yet whether they're seeking the death penalty. Ferguson, Missouri is back in the news. They are now, have now, actually hired an interim police chief for Ferguson, and he's black. He's on loan, apparently, from suburban Phoenix, Arizona. We talk about that. But right now, we've got our good friend Harriet from Bayside, Queens. Harriet, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I missed you. Well, well, thank you for calling, and thanks for being around and listening. Oh, I always listen. Um, I'm going to say something that you're going to strongly disagree with. Go ahead. You know what it's going to be, right? No. Surprise okay. me. Okay. The uh, agreement with Iran. Oh, the agreement with Iran. Okay. Okay. Now, I made sure before I could say I strongly oppose it, I made sure I read all 159 pages of it. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, I just don't trust them. I don't trust them. Uh, there and... When Terry made the agreement, he reminded me of Lord Chamberlain. He you know, I've heard that missing with the umbrella. But i got to tell you something, Harriet. Yeah. The Iranians are not about to pick a war with America. They're not going to do it. They're not crazy. They'd be obliterated. Yes, they, are. they know it. You don't seriously think they're going to pick a fight with the United States, and that's their end game to develop a nuclear bomb to drop here? Um, their neighbors, who are our allies. What, the Israelis? The Israelis. They're the not going to do that either. The Jordanians. Um, who else? Let's see. They're and not the going to pick a fight with these people because, first of all, they know Israel's got nuclear weapons. They know that. The Israelis might not admit it. But the Iranians know good and well that the Israelis have nukes. And the first time that, Iran, that an Iranian ICBM, much less a nuclear device, was detonated anywhere near Israel, it would provoke a nuclear response from Israel. They're not stupid. Um, now, there are people who believe that the Iranians don't care about their lives. They, belo- they have such a strong belief in the hereafter. 
that they so want to be martyrs, or they teach their children to be martyrs. Believing that, I, I, I just don't. I don't buy the notion that young people in Iran and others, maybe maybe people in the in the Iranian government may feel that way. Maybe other people, uh, uh, the supreme ruler or whoever, they may all think that way. But believe me when I tell you, Iran is not crazy. They're not crazy. I enough hope. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. What specifically, Harriet? Since you read the the document in, in its entirety, what specifically do you have a problem with? I mean, Iran shall. How do you know they will? No, European no. But Union what will, in the document? And the European Union um, doesn't, you know, doesn't care that much. They just want Iranian oil. You, you know what I'm saying? Okay, let me ask you this, Harriet. Who do yes. you think cares less? The Iranians or the North Koreans? Well, North Korea already has nuclear weapons. Of course they do. Should they have? No. How come nobody went to the mattresses over them? I don't know why. See, this uh, is the thing. If you look at this from a global perspective, a global perspective. Which is not easy. No, it's not. Okay. But ask yourself the following question. Yeah. What is America's credibility to tell other countries, leave Iran out of it, but to tell other countries they cannot have nuclear weapons when guess who's the only country that ever dropped any? I know that. I know that. And we do a lot of stuff like that. And we're into... Uh, Telling people to have human rights when our human rights uh, record is far less than perfect. I know that. So, but when I mean, people uh, say uh, they're going to destroy it from a global you, perspective, and I'm not saying that America needs to just sit back and say, "Well, go ahead, do whatever you want," but I'm saying yeah. from a global perspective, how do you reconcile? The only government on the planet that has ever detonated a nuclear weapon in another country, telling other countries how they go about their nuclear business. And we once overthrew a government of Iran. Oh, yeah, we did. We installed the Pahlavi family back in yeah, the mid 1950s. We reinstalled the Pahlavi family after yeah. the Iranian people kicked them out. Yeah, we got rid of Mossadegh. Yes. So, uh, uh, you know, given that history, yeah, uh, uh, you know, and, and given the fact that there are hardliners in Iran who are yes. saying the same things about this deal, only from a different perspective, uh -huh. how do you expect to get anything more out of this deal than what Kerry got? Um, we should have at least gotten our American citizens back. What do you mean American citizens back? There are four American citizens held in Iranian prison. Do we have any Iranian prisoners held here? I don't know, but nobody See, asked because, for them. Uh, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna talk about getting American citizens back, the Iranians are gonna turn back, turn back around and say, all right, well, there's X number of Iranians that are being held or X number of Iranians who've had their assets anyway. confiscated. And I don't think they are. I think they get deported. Huh? I think they get deported. I don't think there are any Iranians here. 
Well, it depends. And the Iranians in American prisons. I I wouldn't bet the store on that. And I, okay, I guarantee you right. this. The Iranians know. I may not know. You may not know. But the Iranians know. Yeah. I'm just saying, this is, it may not be a perfect deal. But I also think that the American Congress, many of whom, by the way, Harriet, unlike yeah. you, opposed the deal before they had read three words of it. I did, too, but I did read it. Yeah, but I, well, I, I mean, maybe some I people could in say Congress on the radio that I oppose it, uh, I had to say I had to read it. But now, what, what do you think about members of Congress who oppose it without reading it? Well, it does. It sounds like Iran can easily cheat. How so? Because we, the inspectors that are supposed to go, not Americans that can go to any site that they want, to any uh, site, nuclear site that they believe is a nuclear site. No, it's you, the you UN, know what isn't I'm saying? it? What? Isn't it the International Atomic Energy uh, Agency that's got that power? I think so. Well, uh, I mean, you, you can't A lot expect- of people don't think anybody... Um, are more a lot of people think they're more easygoing than Americans. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, Harriet. This yeah. was not just an agreement between America and Iran. America had allies that worked on this yes. agreement. How could you end up saying only Americans should be able to inspect? No, I said Americans should be able to inspect. That's exactly my point. How can you say that? If America wasn't the only party to the deal. Now, the others can take uh, turns, or let's say they can take turns. But let's say if America um, has, you know, thinks that Iran is cheating, they should be able to inspect. Well, I thought they were having periodic inspections, weren't they? And, and, you know, I, I don't know whether the IAEA is soft or weak or whatever. I don't know. But I do uh-huh. know that internationally, they're recognized yeah. as an agency that, that does periodic inspections. Uh-huh. You see, and the yeah. other side of that, Harriet, is suppose Iran had sat back and said, okay, you want to inspect our sites? Let Iranians go inspect Israeli sites. Aye. Right. Yeah, all right, Exactly. Exactly. Well, Israel said uh, Israel is not uh, has yet to say we have the atom- we have atomic. Weapons. I know they have yet to say it, but the Iranians don't. Right now, the Iranians don't have it. So, okay. if, if if you say the Iranians don't have it, but the Israelis won't say, where's the balance there? I don't know. I don't know. Notice I'm talking about this and not he who must not be named. Who? Who are you talking about? A certain person who's running for the um, for the Republican nomination whose oh, name really? I won't even mention. What? No, don't worry, we'll we'll get to him. I have a I have a theory about him. I really okay, do. But I, you I, notice I, I didn't mention his name because too many people are to- mentioning his name. Well, that that's exactly what he wants. Yes, of course. That's exactly what he wants. I think 
the American presidency is secondary to him because the oh, American sure. presidency isn't going to build his empire any bigger than it is now. Right. But, yeah. it's, but it's that's a whole more. that's a whole other other kettle of fish. Harriet, I got to run. But listen, okay, thanks so much thank for calling. You Always great care. to talk with you. Okay, take care. Take care. Have a good one. Triple eight eight seven four four eight 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 is our number. It's twenty minutes before the hour of seven o'clock. We're going to take a very quick break, and then we're going to come back with a whole lot more. This is the Mark Riley Show on the Progressive Radio Network. back. It's 19 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. And since Harry brought him up, let's talk about he who shall not be named. I'll name him. What the heck? Donald Trump. I don't believe that Donald Trump has any interest at all in becoming the next president of the United States. I know that may sound like heresy to some people, Probably sounds like heresy to him since he's doing so well in the polls. But this is about, in my judgment, Donald Trump building his brand, being the center of attention, being the one that has TV Klieg lights lighting up wherever he goes. Donald Trump, I believe in his heart of hearts, is an egomaniac. He's a man who, well, let's just put it this way. He's a self-made man in love with his creator. Why would I say Donald Trump is building his brand as opposed to seriously running for the Republican nomination for president? Leaving aside that he alienated a large swath of the Latino population, by the way, the fastest growing population in America, never mind that he slagged John McCain, to the point that Democrats who don't agree with McCain about what time of day it is came to his defense. Ask yourself the following question. And sooner or later, somebody in media with half a brain is going to figure this out. How much free publicity has Donald Trump gotten in the run-up to and since he has announced he's running for president? How much free publicity. And when I say free publicity, I'm talking about news reports, inside editions, TMZs, you name it. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. If you totaled up all of the minutes in media devoted to coverage of Donald Trump and you broke it into one-minute segments, and you considered it advertising, how much free advertising time has Donald Trump gotten? And Donald Trump is one who understands, for him, there's no such thing as bad publicity. That's why, with the exception of a slight walk back on John McCain, he's doubled down on everything he said without providing the slightest 
bit of substance. Look back to when he was going after Barack Obama with the whole birth certificate thing. Got the president of the United States to actually produce his birth certificate. All the while saying to the American people, I have information. People have told me. I've got investigators who tell me that he wasn't born in the United States. And it turns out he was. But you see, Donald Trump didn't care whether Barack Obama was born in the United States. He really didn't care. It's all about Donald Trump. And I guarantee you, if you did total up all that time, chopped it into one-minute commercials, and put a price tag on it, Donald Trump has gotten hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in free publicity. And he can pick fights with anybody. Big piece in the New York Times today about he and Rupert Murdoch, who apparently don't much care for each other. And the interesting thing to me was the headline in the New York Times says, Titans clash on Donald Trump's run fuels his feud with Rupert Murdoch. Titans? Titans? All right, you you might arguably be able to call Murdoch a titan. Donald Trump ain't no titan, I'm sorry. He's not. He's a loudmouth, brash, egomaniac who will, by the way, gloss over facts about his own life. You know, he, he went to the Wharton School and nobody seems to remember he was even there. He was there, apparently, but... Nobody remembers him for much. He said he was top of his class. Nobody remembers that. But that's all secondary. That's collateral damage to a guy like Donald Trump. It's not something he's got to worry about. Because the coverage, the fact that he's leading in polls, burnishes his brand. Here's a guy who never created anything that he didn't attach his name to in big, bold letters. Hotels, casinos, although you don't want to talk too much about the casino thing. A university. Didn't even have sense enough to name it after somebody else. It was the Trump University. The subject, by the way, of multiple lawsuits, but that's another discussion for another day. Donald Trump is all about Donald Trump you'll notice that he really hasn't come up with a bunch of policy positions. I understand he's down at the border, the U.S.-Mexican border, parading around there. Why? Because it burnishes his bread. Now, if he were to somehow become the next president of the United States, that's all well and good as far as he's concerned. But it's not really about that. This is, ladies and gentlemen, July 2015. Last I checked, the American presidential election is November 2016. We have seen in the 2008 and 2012 campaigns numbers of people who were covered as serious presidential candidates. Herm Cain springs immediately to mind. Others, Rick Santorum, Rick Perry, half of whom, by the way, are now talking about running this time around. They see another opportunity. But nobody who's running, nobody, whether they're serious or not, has a brand to burnish like Donald Trump. And he strikes a chord with some people. You can't ignore that. 
he strikes a chord because he says what he feels like saying. And to some people, and I've talked to people who find Trump at least mildly interesting, haven't run into anybody yet who said, oh, yeah, I'm going out and voting for him. But people who find Donald Trump interesting say that's what makes him interesting, that he says what's on his mind. Wonderful. Turn on any reality TV. You turn on Duck Dynasty, you'll see people spouting what's on their mind. May not be worth much, but it's what's on their mind. And I don't know, you know, Donald Trump is a, a, a billionaire. Apparently, that even that, he's exaggerating. He says he's worth 10 bill. I saw something today that says he's actually only worth about four. But what's a few billion among friends, right? It's the big deal. The people that are getting clowned here, aside from the American public, is the American media. The American media slavishly dotes on this man's every word and gives him a platform and a forum for nothing, for absolutely no cost whatsoever. And the only reason why they do it is because he's Donald Trump. And that, ladies and gentlemen, to me, is what must have him lapping up his sleeve through this entire thing. I know there was some Republican guy who said that Donald Trump was a Democratic plant. Because, you know, the Republicans don't know what to do with him. Even conservative talk radio doesn't know what to do with Donald Trump. You know, because conservative talk radio's end game is to back the winner or who they think is going to be the winner in next year's presidential race. They want to play a role in who ends up being the Republican nominee. They gave up on the Democrats. They've never been down with the Democrats. But they want desperately to be relevant. And here comes Donald Trump talking all this trash, talking about a real war hero versus a guy, by the way, who never served, got deferment after deferment after deferment. And he's saying McCain isn't a war hero, and people take that crap seriously. Why? Because it's Donald Trump burnishing his brand, again, as per usual. I'm just hoping that sooner or later, sooner rather than later, people will wake up and understand that Donald Trump wants, I don't think necessarily, I don't think he wants to be president. He wants to be Donald Trump. And if, let's say for the sake of argument, he's worth the $10 billion he says he is. If this run goes into the Iowa caucuses next winter, <coughs> excuse me, and he's still in the race, how much do you think that brings to Trump's bottom line? I'm sure his people are calculating it as we speak. You know, if you stay in the race until January, you might be worth $10.5 billion or $11 billion or $12 billion. And you don't even have to work at it. All you have to do is talk trash and double down. It's amazing. It's an amazing country we live in. And I, for one, am waiting with bated breath to see how all of this turns out. Now, again, uh, there may be some people might say, well, you know, you're a hypocrite, man. 
You talk about how the media talks about Donald Trump. Here you are talking about Donald Trump. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm hoping I come with a slightly different take than most people, but I am. I'm talking about the guy. And here's hoping that come January or February next year, we don't have to talk about Donald Trump anymore. Because he'll be just another footnote, just like Herm King. Dylan Roof, the man accused of slaying nine black church members in Charleston, South Carolina, has been indicted on 12 hate crime counts. This is in addition to the state charges, the state first-degree murder charges, 12 hate crime counts. Now, first thing that sprang to mind when I heard this was, oh, y'all don't think the person whose attorney general makes any difference in anybody's lives or really isn't about seeking justice? Loretta Lynch's Justice Department is now going after Dylan Roof. Matter of fact, I think Ms. Lynch had a, a press conference to detail those hate crime charges. The indictments include a dozen allegations of obstructing someone's religious practice, a charge in the federal system that could potentially carry the death penalty. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Prosecutors, by the way, in South Carolina have not yet said whether they're going to be seeking the death penalty against Dylan Roof on state charges. Those state charges include, by the way, nine counts, count them, nine counts of first-degree murder. I still have not heard any organized, organized response from non-black Christians about what happened in Charleston, South Carolina at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. I'm wondering when those good Christians might speak out as a group, you know, like we ask the Muslims to do. You know, you need to condemn this. You don't, you don't hear anybody telling white Christians to condemn anything. They just keep asking for money. Ferguson, Missouri introduced a new interim police chief. He's the black police commander from Glendale, Arizona. Uh, He apparently is on a six-month loan from Glendale. He apparently had the inside track that Andre Anderson, he's got a quarter of a century working in law enforcement, which gives him some credentials, I would think. Ed Beasley, another African-American who was hired as Ferguson's interim city manager, had been Glendale's city manager. So now you know it was, uh, he may have had an inside track. Anderson is known for his ability to do community outreach in policing. That's a good idea. That's a real good idea. And, of course, we know what happened in Ferguson. We know the response to what happened in Ferguson. If this is for real, and this man perhaps could end up being the permanent chief of police in Ferguson, Missouri, there might be a sea change in how the police do their business in Ferguson. But Ferguson is, you know, Ferguson is just one city. 
across America, as I said earlier, law enforcement has a bit to answer for. Just a bit. Uh, Closer to home. Folks who live in the Garden State of New Jersey, as do I, have just endured three consecutive days of electrical problems in the rail tunnels under the Hudson River, which, of course, stymied the commutes of tens of thousands of New Jersey transit riders. That would be the tunnel that was constructed in 1908. An accident, or even not an accident, a disaster, a catastrophe, waiting to happen. Never mind stranding people. These folks are are putting Band-Aids on an open wound when it comes to rail infrastructure between New Jersey and New York. One of the busiest rail corridors in America. And, of course, the powers that be pass the blame real quick. They asked Christie about it. He would be the governor who's seeking to be president, governor of New Jersey, the guy who stymied in 2010 a proposal for a rail, a new rail tunnel. He says, well, go ask New Jersey Transit. And New Jersey Transit, in a true pass-the-buck style, said, no, it's not our fault. It's Amtrak's fault. <laughs> you know, you've got to be kidding. Amtrak actually owns the tunnel. Cold comfort to people left to sit waiting to get into Penn Station. The ugliest train station in America, I might add, certainly in any major city. It's an abomination, Penn Station. has been for years. But this is the kind of neglect that's going to come back to haunt the people who elected the people who did nothing. The people who elected the people who appointed folks to the Port Authority and to these other government agencies whose job it is to oversee all this and did nothing or did damage, which is even worse. And by the way, they're talking now about raising the fares in New Jersey Transit. It's incredible, absolutely incredible. Well, listen, I hear music in the background. I guess that means it's time for me to go. So out I am. Stay tuned for all the great programming here at the Progressive Radio Network. I want to thank you all so, so much for listening. This has been the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. Come next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be, we will be back. God willing, in the creek, don't rise. Have yourselves a great rest of the evening and a better week ahead. <laughs>